Let's start this morning by reading uh, Luke 18, uh, verses 9 through 14. So Luke 18, listen to these words. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, said Jesus, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I took a couple notes on this that I want to tell you about because this is the kind of story that Jesus told that perplexed the people who were listening to the story. But for us, being so far away from this time period, I mean, we are 2,000 away, years away from when this story was told by Jesus to these people. So there's a lot of context we have to understand. There's a lot of cultural things going on. There's a lot of things we have to interpret and seek to understand as we, under, as we look at this story and we find the truth of how this story applies to us today. So what we want to do is we want to dig back a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about what a tax collector was and what a Pharisee was in that day. Now, a Pharisee was a religious teacher. But a Pharisee, particularly here, in the way that Luke talks about Pharisees, Pharisees were people who, uh, they knew it all. They had it all together. Uh, Luke would also, though, take a little bit, and he would kind of take a jab at them as well. And he would set them up as these people who were against what Jesus was teaching, who tended to be extremely judgmental of others, who tended to point out the sins of other people, who were very, um, they, they shoved God in a certain kind of box, and that box didn't take typically include things like grace and mercy and love. They were people of judgment. They were people who, who had things figured out. They were people who memorized scripture. They were people who had uh, all this theology that they thought they understood. Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing scripture. There's nothing having good theology. But there is something wrong if your good theology and your memorization of scripture doesn't lead you to grace and love and mercy. That is when we have to take a look and say, hey, maybe we need to be more critical about what we're thinking or what we're believing. If your theology you think is good doesn't lead you to love and grace and mercy, it's probably time to rethink your theology, which is something we do a lot around here because we understand that the way of Jesus, the way of grace and love and mercy is the way that we're supposed to live. So we look at everything through that lens and reinterpret and reconstruct and deconstruct and rebuild to make sure that we are following the way of Jesus and how we live out our lives and how we live out those things that we believe. Do our beliefs inform that? Do our beliefs lead us to love and grace and mercy? And we judge our beliefs by that and we say, hey, what we're believing what we're believing is leading us there. And then we can say what we're believing is leading us to the way of Jesus. And then you have the tax collector. 
the tax collector and before we get you know upset about people maybe in the IRS or we think oh yeah all taxes are bad in fact taxes are good they provide the social programs that matter to us in our world they help us do the things that we need to do this is a very specific reality that they're pointing to here about a specific group of people in that day tax collectors in that time and why they're you why they're pointing it here and you can almost capitalize the the phrase tax collector just like i don't know if jill can go back to this it's it's verse 10 jill if you can find that one uh so you can see here pharisee is capitalized but if you go over here i want you to think in your mind to capitalize this word tax collector because it's not just any tax collectors the tax collectors of those days these people were put in a position where they were collecting taxes but what they would do is they would overcharge people sort of skim off the top give the rest to the government and they would take the remainder so they would kind of shake people down so they excelled it in justice they preyed on the poor they stepped on others to get ahead now listen, I want you to hear this because I think this is so critical for us to understand. When you go back in the scriptures, when you, when you see what Jesus is pointing to, what is the heart of God, God gets so angry and so frustrated and so mad about injustice. God calls out when people pray on the poor. God gets upset when people step on others to get ahead. And so these people are, these people are at, the, at the center of that reality. And so everybody kind of knows that and everybody's angry with these people, but I want you to see what happens here. Is that when they're standing there, the Pharisee looks around, he begins to judge other people. He says, hey, I'm not like all these other people. I'm not a robber, an evildoer, adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector standing over here. The tax collector looks and he says, God have mercy on me. He recognizes he recognizes the wrong that he has done. And he says, I am a sinner. Jesus then clears up the parable and says, hey, listen, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, this one who can't even look to heaven, who recognizes the wrong that he has done, he's the one that went home justified before God. Now, again, listen to this. This is why people are perplexed. How is it that the one who seems to have it all together, why is it the one that seems to, to have it all figured out was the one who was wrong here? And the tax collector, the, the one who has been preying on people, the one who excelled at injustice, the one who stepped on other people to get ahead, why is he the one who goes home justified before God? It really doesn't seem fair. The tax collector is the one who's forgiven. This grace thing that we find here is a complicated reality. This grace thing that God teaches us through Jesus is a complicated thing and something we need to work on understanding. And it's into this tension of this moment, it's into this tension that Luke told a story about Jesus that leans into that tension. So in Luke 18, we find Jesus telling this parable. The readers of this book who are going through systematically through the life of Jesus and through his teaching come to this point. They, they hear this parable, this story. They recognize the tension right there in that moment that, that, that grace is complicated. They're, they're struggling to understand this whole forgiveness thing. And then right after that, 
Luke goes into another story of Jesus. He leans into the tension of this moment and teaches something that they needed to hear and teaches us something that we need to hear about grace, about forgiveness, and about the way of Jesus. And the story goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, the story of Zacchaeus builds upon the parable of the Pharisee and the nameless tax collector that we just read a moment ago. And it does that by giving the tax collector a name, the name Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a not just a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector. Because he was the chief tax collector, he was incredibly wealthy. So imagine all of these people skimming off the top, and then you have Zacchaeus, who is also skimming off the top of the skimming off of the top, and he is just the, 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 he is the epitome of all the injustice taking place through this system. But the story of Zacchaeus builds upon this parable because it shows us about forgiveness, repentance, and redemption. Amid this world that looked like violence and power could rule everything, through Jesus, God painted a picture of a kingdom of peace expanding of from, from not, not from violence, but from love. And rather than saying that Caesar is Lord like the propaganda that day, followers of Jesus said Jesus is Lord, and they lived out his way. And this is what happens to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is someone who is living for the kingdom of that day. He's living for the Roman Empire. He's skimming off the top. It's allowing him to be rich. Every time that he says Caesar is Lord and he leans into the system of injustice that has been created, he gains wealth, he becomes rich, his life seems to be okay, but he has all of this ugliness and guilt and shame built within him because of that. And then he sees Jesus, and he's heard the way of Jesus. Clearly, he has listened to the teachings of Jesus at different times. I, I, I want to know the background of the story. Where, where had he heard Jesus? What kind of stories did he hear, he hear Jesus teach that compelled him? I have to think that he heard stories of grace. Maybe he saw Jesus in moments of incredible compassion. Maybe he saw the way that Jesus treated the poor and he looked at his own heart and he realized how messed up things had become in his own life. Maybe in those moments as he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus talk about a new kind of kingdom, a new way to be, a new way to live, a way that brought life and mercy and goodness to this world. Maybe just like us, he's compelled by that idea. He says, could, could it be possible that the world could look different? Is the way that this Jesus is teaching a possible way for me to be? And Zacchaeus says yes, and he runs to the sycamore tree. He climbs up it because he wants to see Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, 
As Jesus sees him, calls to him, they have this interaction. He says, I must come to your house. It says, so he came down at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. He welcomed Jesus into his life knowing full well Jesus was going to change everything. See, I think we need to be, I think we need to be aware of this and see this reality. Zacchaeus knew who Jesus was. Zacchaeus knew what Jesus was teaching. It's the same that's true for us. We are compelled by the way of Jesus. And when we say Jesus is Lord, when we invite Jesus into our lives, we are saying, Jesus, change my life. Make me new. Now, if we're not doing that, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we really inviting Jesus into our lives? Or are we just saying we, we, we just want to, to accept this cultural reality about Jesus? Look, we're in a new place in our world today. We are in a new place in this moment. I believe that we sit in a, in a situation, in a, in a, in a spot where, where followers of Jesus are not just going to be cultural Christians any longer. I think we're past that moment. Maybe 30 years ago, 40 years ago, definitely 100 years ago, it was, it, was, it, was, it was being about culturally Christian was a reality. Everybody went to church. Everybody did that. All the, but here's the thing. Today, no. T- t- today, there isn't a cultural Christianity anymore, and that's probably a good thing. Because today, we make a choice. Today we come to this road and we say, I'm going to choose with my life to follow Jesus because I want Jesus to change my life from this moment forward. I believe that Jesus is going to change the world from this moment forward. I don't want to miss out on the kingdom of Jesus and what he's bringing into this world and I want to be a part of that. I believe in this moment that cultural Christianity is long gone and it's time for us to look like people like Zacchaeus who say, I'm going to welcome Jesus into my life because I want Jesus to mess up my life for good. I'm tired of living this old way of greed. I'm tired of living this old way that teaches me that it's all about me and all for my stuff. Instead, say, I want to live my life for something else. I want to live my life for the way of Jesus. So tired of his old life, Zacchaeus says this, and Zacchaeus was born again. But here's what I want you to see. I want to look at his neighbor's response who had experienced the old Zacchaeus. In 1917, or 1907, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. So they saw Jesus say, hey, I want to come to your house today. They saw Zacchaeus welcome Jesus. And then they they say to themselves, oh, look, (laughs) Jesus has gone to be a guest of that sinner. Now listen, the word sin here is a word that means missing the mark. And we, we talk about this all the time. We say things like this, that we're learning to love God and love others. Jesus taught that that right there, that is the target which we are to aim. I love that my friend Kurt always likes to say that it's that simple. Love God, love others. And, and all of that complicated stuff that we try to understand, all that theology and all of that, it's great, it's good stuff, but it brings us back to this reality of loving God and loving others, and that is the target which we are to aim. 
Yet in our sin, we miss it. In our sin, we miss the target of loving God and loving others. And we have a tendency to cover up that guilt. And we have a tendency to cover it up just like the Pharisee did by judging others. And just like this crowd does here by judging Zacchaeus. See, just like the self-righteous man, just like the self-righteous Pharisee in the parable we started with, the crowd thought that they had the right to judge who Jesus forgives. Here's how I wrote it down in my notes. It's easy to lose sight of your own sin when you're so busy pointing out everyone else's sin. Louder for those in the back. It's easy to lose sight of your own sin when you are so busy pointing out everyone else's sin. And when you do that, you end up with an incomplete picture of forgiveness. And as the story continues, we're going to get that complete picture. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Zacchaeus could have escaped the puzzled and angry looks of his neighbors. When he heard the people saying, oh, Jesus has gone to be the guest, sinner, you know, oh, whatever. And then in that moment, he, he looks at Jesus, he repents, he, he turns from his ways, he repays back what he had done. Jesus says, hey, salvation has come to this man today. He could have chosen out he, he, he could have chosen just right in that moment, right there, to just follow Jesus, to go with Jesus, to, to leave that place. But I, I want you to see what Zacchaeus did. He chose to live out his new life and reestablish him as part, himself as part of God's kingdom right where he was. So Zacchaeus, in this moment, I just think this is so incredible. And we see Jesus do this all the time. He has these moments where he meets people. Their lives are changed. And so often, Jesus will say, go back to your home. Stay where you are and sin no more. Or with Zacchaeus, in this moment, he says, salvation has come to this house. And in this house house, salvation will be lived out and experienced. And Zacchaeus chooses to stay right where he is and allow the kingdom of God to work through him. And think about that. What would that look like in our lives? If we recognize that when we give our lives to Jesus, we choose to be people who follow Jesus, who we choose to be people of love and grace and mercy. We be, choose to be people who live out God's kingdom in our neighborhoods and in our communities. And we choose to stay right there regardless of what the community thinks around us, regardless of what the community looks like around us. In your house, in your kingdom, right where you are, what does it look like for you to live about God's kingdom in that place and imagine the change that can take place in our world 
when we recognize and see that here and now in this place in this moment on this earth that, that in this space that God has placed me where I have given my life to him how can I bring goodness and mercy and grace and justice and love to this corner into this place into this circle of influence I think that is one of the most powerful things that we can learn in this season that we're in. How many of us spend a significant amount of time at home, no longer just pulling into our driveway, shutting our garage door, but opening that door just to simply go somewhere else? We began to realize we live in a community, that we live with people around us, the danger is that we go back to that reality of seeing ourselves siloed in these places and not living within community. You are called right where you are to live out the kingdom of God. And how powerful does that look for the church? We say, let's not just go to church somewhere. Let's just not get siloed at that place, but let's go out and be the church in my neighborhood, in my community, in this city, individually and together going and being the church right where we live and that's what Zacchaeus did in this moment but I wonder what happened after this what happened when he decided that what happened when he began to live out the kingdom of God in that place what happened when Jesus was no longer physically present right there and Zacchaeus was living out his faith in him did the people Zacchaeus had wronged forgive him? Did the people that Zacchaeus had wronged join hands with him and help build this new kingdom in this place? We don't get an answer to this. But we do find that that is precisely what God desires us to do. In view of God's forgiveness, we work at repentance like Zacchaeus healing that which we made broken that's one half of it but we also extend that forgiveness to others so like Zacchaeus we are called to repent and then to heal that which we have made broken in our circle and around us but then the crowd has a responsibility then to extend that forgiveness to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus then has that responsibility to extend that forgiveness to others who have wronged him. Listen how we see and how we learn this from the words of Jesus. It says in Luke 11, a few chapters before this, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. The Greek word translated for, for forgive here is afiyami, a word that means to release. Now listen to that. The word for forgive, when we see this, Father, 
release us of our sin. For we also release everyone who sins against us. We're asking to be released. We're, we, we can choose to carry the burden of our sin and our guilt, or we can choose to accept God's forgiveness and allow him to release us from that burden. See, that's the power here that we see in this moment. That's the power that we see in this prayer as we ask this. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here, now, in this place. Give us our daily bread. Give us our daily bread as we live that out. And then listen, release us of our sin. And release us of the shame and the guilt that we carry because of it. For we also then release others of their shame, of their guilt, and the way that they have sinned that has hurt us. And as we do that, we can look to God's forgiveness and we extend it to those around us. In Psalm 3, we see this picture of forgiveness that we aspire to to forgive and to release the way that God forgives. Listen to these words. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are saying that we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven to turn, to repent from missing the mark of loving God and loving others in letting go of the guilt for all the times that we have failed to do that. But we're also relinquishing the bitterness and the resentment that we've placed upon others. And if we don't do that, we're simply putting more burden upon ourselves and not living out the freedom of forgiveness. And this is what I love about this as we read this psalm. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He won't always accuse. He won't, he won't harbor his anger forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserves or repay us according to our iniquities. And so as I see what happens with Zacchaeus, 
As I see what he has done, he recognizes that moment of forgiveness. He recognizes the way that Jesus accepts him and loves him and welcomes him and comes into his house and says, hey, I want you to be a part of this kingdom that I am building. Zacchaeus, come and be a part. Zacchaeus, in response to that, says, look, Lord, because of this, I'm going to repay. I'm going to repent. I'm going to rebuild the things that I have broken, not to gain Jesus' love, but in response to his love. And so we do the same in response to Jesus' incredible compassion and mercy and grace and love for us. We can't help but extend that to other people. And if we don't do that, if we don't go out and extend that forgiveness and that love and that mercy and that justice and that grace and that goodness to other people, we put more burden upon ourselves we don't live out that freedom that Zacchaeus experienced in that moment. A quote often attributed to Nelson Mandela says this, Holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick. And I've done this in my life. I had someone really hurt me a few years ago and the bitterness and the resentment will just randomly pop up. And I can feel myself getting angry. I can imagine confronting them with all that built-up anger. And I'm sure you're the same way. You do this kind of self-talk and you imagine, you're like, hey, in this moment, man, what could I say to that person? I've got a friend who's a therapist. I'll call him and we'll talk about it. And he'll remind me, hey, it's okay to not forget it. It's okay to not forget that you were wrong. Forgiving others isn't the same thing as saying that what they did was okay. But my friend will also remind me that forgiving is choosing not to hold on to the wrong done to me. So don't allow people to have rent-free space in your head. Don't let resentment become a default place that leads to anger and self-righteousness. Release your bitterness and release their sin to the only one who can forgive and pray that they do the same for you. And all of this that we've learned today now defines for us these four simple words that we find in the Apostles' Creed that says, I believe in the forgiveness of of sins. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Look at those words, and and Jill, just leave it here. Say these words with me. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Guys, if we believe in the forgiveness of sins, if we believe in the forgiveness of sins, it means that we believe that God forgives us. It frees us from all the guilt, all the shame that we feel. But it also means that we live out that forgiveness bringing his love, his mercy, his grace into the places of our world that need healing. 
And then it also means that we extend that forgiveness to others who have hurt us. And we release them of their shame and their guilt of the wrong that they've committed against us. Believing in forgiveness is not just believing that you are justified and made right through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It means that you live out his forgiveness in this world in such a way that people are compelled by our lives the same way that Zacchaeus was compelled by Jesus. And the only way that we do that is by people who live out astonishing forgiveness. Who live out an astonishing level of repentance. And who live out an astonishing freedom that comes with forgiveness. Because from that comes a joy and a life and a goodness and a mercy. From that comes the kingdom of God in this world right where you are. Man, how would our world change? How would our world change if we truly believed and lived out the forgiveness of sins? As we close up, I want you to listen to this prayer that invites us into this sacred act of forgiveness. And I mean that. I mean that we are in the sacred act of forgiveness. We don't just do. We have to, we don't just believe it. We have to go and forgive. This prayer takes us through that. And this is a prayer that I'm going to give through our social media, that I'm going to post in different places. I encourage you to write it down. I encourage you to be something you say, something that we believe as a community. Listen to these words. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name, amen. And what I want to encourage you to do is not just have us read this as a community, but have you read this and say this as a confession and as a reminder of the forgiveness that God gives you and calls you to live out to others. So over the next few nights, leading to next Sunday, I want you to practice this with me. Again, I'm going to post this on social. I'll put it on our website. And we're going to say it this way, though. We're going to replace this with singular pronouns for ourselves. First person. So let's read this again. 
and I'm going to do my best to trade. I don't have this written down this way, but I'm going to do my best to trade this in the third person for the first person that I want us to say before we go to sleep every night over the next few nights. Listen to this. Most merciful God, I confess that I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I have done and what I have left undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I'm truly sorry, and I humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me that I may delight in your will, walk in your ways, to the glory of your name. Amen. God, these four simple words we believe in the forgiveness of sin. Father, help us to truly live that out. As we look at the Apostles' Creed, as we look at the words that we have read over these last several weeks, we see the power that each of these phrases has to change our lives, to help us grow and look more like Jesus, to become people who learn to love you and love the people around us. God, help us to learn to be people of forgiveness not to be burdened down with shame and with guilt, but to experience the release of our sin, to work out in repentance in our community and our neighborhoods and with the people we've wronged, and to extend that forgiveness to all those around us. Help us to be transformed and transform this world through those acts of forgiveness. It's your name that we pray today. Amen.